Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Rio. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. I trust you're able to sense a powerful surge of God's presence during our praise and worship time, especially when we started singing about Calvary. I mean, it was here in a a massive way, and I, I hope it made its way all the way to the end of the church or to the back of the church. It wasn't accidental. It's intentional and purposeful. It's something that we pray about for every service because we not only need the presence of God, we are desperate for it. How many of you know that? We are desperate for God's presence. And in Psalm 16, it was David who said, in his presence, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Say that, fullness of joy. Not just a little bit of joy that maybe can put a smile on your face for a second. We're talking about joy unspeakable and full of glory. Something to shout about. Something that will convert you to a happy camper all of the time. And maybe it's just me, but I sense that there's victory in God's house this morning. Uh, Do you agree? We are here in his presence, and we can expect the very best. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, you know we're right in the middle of a series that we've entitled End of Days. And we're calling it End of Days, not because we think the world as we know it is going to come to an abrupt end. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. There are some people that seem to think that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, in my lifetime. I'm not sure. I'm not confident. The Bible specifically says no one. How many? No one one knows the day or the hour. And so with this series, we're not making any second coming of Jesus or end of the world predictions. That's not the objective here. And we're not trying to play the fear card and cause people to make overly emotional decisions to live for Christ. In the past, I have found that typically those kinds of commitments don't hold up anyway. But here's what we are trying to do. Address an extremely important topic that you will find in the Bible, throughout the Bible, from cover to cover. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you will find scattered throughout the Bible prophetic passages talking about the end times. In fact, even Jesus got involved in the action. And so as we begin this morning, what I'd like to do is share a very familiar passage of Scripture found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Here's what it says, beginning with verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or any other source that you have. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, Jesus asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the very place that Zechariah the prophet said Jesus would be standing when he returned to planet Earth, as he was sitting there on that exact spot, the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, when will this happen? And 
What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. How many? Many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. How many? Many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, not many, but most, will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We have a lot to cover today. And so right off the bat, I'm going to appreciate your patience during this service. I'm just going to ask you to try to lock in and stay with me. We, we have a lot to talk about, and so I certainly cannot get bogged down with detail. But please allow me to set the stage for this particular passage of Scripture that we just read. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus just finished the church service he was hosting that day, dismissing the people, maybe shaking some hands or fist pumping, you know, having a cup of coffee. And during the closing moments of that particular service in that time, the disciples were hit with such an awesome sense of God's presence, just like we were during the worship time, that they were compelled to fixate their attention on the temple. They were drawn to the temple itself, the holy temple, the beautiful temple of God. And Jesus, understanding what was taking place with his disciples there and then, before they even had a chance to express to him what was on their hearts, he interrupted them. And he pointed to the temple. And he predicted the destruction of the temple along with several other buildings. And he said to you, he said to them, I tell you the truth, there's going to come a day when not one stone will be left upon the other. And when Jesus said that, his disciples were shocked. They were in a state of shock. And no one dared say another word. They didn't express to Jesus what was on their hearts or what they were thinking. They just kept quiet. They left the temple courts. They made their way past the city streets. They went to the Kidron Valley, past the Kidron Valley, and then they retired at a place that they had gone countless times before, a, a very special spiritual place that Jesus used to take his disciples, like to take them there, the Mount of Olives. And it took a few minutes. But as the disciples were sitting there together, as they were looking out into the distance and seeing the temple from their elevation, because they could see it, and as they contemplated the words of destruction that Jesus had just spoken to them, they asked him a couple of follow-up questions. 
First question. When will these things happen? Or Jesus, when will the temple be destroyed? And as you well know, because history records it, the destruction took place about 40 years later in A.D. 70. We're told by the Jewish historian Josephus that the Roman general Titus marched on Jerusalem at that time, probably August or September of A.D. 70, completely surrounded the city, slaughtered tens of thousands of Jewish people, including women and children, and burnt the city to the ground. That happened. We have that in our history books. Just the way that Jesus said it. That was the first question. The second question the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And in order for the disciples to ask Jesus this kind of question, that tells me that somewhere along the line, Jesus communicated to his disciples that there was an end game. That the world was going to experience a dispensation of time called the end days, or the last days. And just like the rest of us, the disciples wanted to know when. And so Jesus proceeded to give them a list of signs to watch out for. And I am fully convinced that what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 24, when he gave this little speech to his disciples, he had us in mind right now, today. And yes, I know that some of the verses that we just read, the events of those verses have already taken place. But I also believe Jesus was speaking prophetically to us. And this happens a lot in Scripture, where the Word of God has dual meaning or dual purpose. And so among the signs that Jesus asked his disciples and the rest of us to look forward to, Jesus mentions ongoing war and bloodshed. How many know? Nothing new there. I mean, we've been experiencing war for 2,000 years, ever since the time of Christ. Jesus said there would be famines and earthquakes and miscellaneous disasters. Uh, that's pretty vague. I mean, that's been happening. That's been current. Uh, those are pretty much routine. Then Jesus also predicted false prophets and false teachers. He said there would be hatred and that there would be violence and increased wickedness. Again, nothing really to write home about. Nothing specific. Nothing overly significant. Nothing to give us clear certainty to the exact time frame. But then, Jesus made a very dramatic statement in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. It was the last verse that we read together. Here's what it says. And the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When will the end come? When the gospel message goes to the four corners of the earth. Let me ask you, is that happening today? You better believe it is. For the first time in the history of our world, because of the internet, because of the world wide web, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 is a reality. All 196 countries of the world now have the capability of hearing the gospel message. Most of them in their own language, or many of them anyway. 
Add to that telecommunications, radio, TV, social media, and the worldwide missionary efforts, we are close. We are close to the end. Because Jesus said, after the gospel message has the capability to be preached to the ends of the earth, then the end will come. So, there's no telling when God Almighty might gather an emergency meeting of the heavenly host and give the nod and say it's time. The final sign, the one that Jesus said has to take place before the end, has now been accomplished. It's been fulfilled. So let me say it again. We're close. I'm not making predictions. I'm not setting out dates. I'm simply telling you, in accordance with the scripture that Jesus gave to us, we're close to the end. Now, when the end of days reaches the tipping point, when this dispensation of time called the end times or the last days, when it gets to its fulfillment and God says, I'm ready to move on, what's next on God's calendar is seven years of tribulation. Seven years of trouble here upon the earth like we have never seen before. And this isn't my opinion. This is spelled out in the Word of God. You can find it in the Old Testament book of Daniel. You can find it in the New Testament book of Revelation. And everywhere in between, Jesus talks about it, so do the epistle writers. And if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church then you really don't have to worry about all the trouble that's coming on the earth during this seven-year tribulation period because we're going to be gone. Out of here. How many of you can get excited about that? We talked about the rapture of the church last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, it's available. I would encourage you to hear it. With regard to the rapture of the church, that particular doctrine, for the most part, there are three accepted views. Three views that hold merit. Three views that you can find support in the scripture. There's a group of Christians who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture where the church will be taken out of the world before the trouble begins, before even a single day of tribulation. Then there's another group of believers who think the scripture supports more of a mid tribulation rapture where God well Jesus will rescue the church at some point during the tribulation maybe the halfway point like at three and a half years and then there's another group who believes that the church will go through the tribulation and they will not be taken out of the world until the very end of it and for them pretty much the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus happen at the same time it's the same event and again those three views are accepted those three views are supported in Scripture. And last Sunday I told you, after years and years, 45 years of clinging to a post-tribulation viewpoint, I have done an about-face the last couple of months. And now I believe, fully believe, in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I say that, communicating to you very carefully and clearly that it is my opinion. And making that statement knowing full well I may be wrong, and it may not go that way. 
That's why it's so important to be ready, to be prepared, to be built up in our most holy faith, to be locked in and to know what's going on in the world. It's upon us to know those things. And let me just say this. If you feel as though a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture is more verified or validated in the scripture and it happens to be a pre-tribulation rapture, no worries. You're coming along with us because no believer will be left behind. All right, let me briefly mention one more sign that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 24, and then we're going to move on. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Jesus said, When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So Jesus was making reference to a passage of scripture in the book of Daniel, actually Daniel chapter 9. He goes on to say, in verse 21 and 22, when this happens, when this abomination takes place, then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, I know this is difficult to understand and to comprehend. Maybe you haven't read all of the verses that talk about this very issue that Jesus was addressing here. I have, and I've researched it, spent a lot of time in preparation for this service. So just listen to what I have to say about it. And then you can do your homework. I mean, be a Berean and follow up. Go into the Bible. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Go to the, the book of Revelation and, and do a little study on this and for yourself. But here, this is a very difficult concept to understand. But in these verses that we just read, Jesus is talking about the seven-year tribulation period. That's what he's commenting on. And he's making direct, direct reference to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is an ungodly and evil man who will be revealed during the tribulation. Again, you'll find these verses scattered throughout the scripture. You've got to know where to look for them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is a good one. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the second coming of Jesus, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. This is the Antichrist, the one that Jesus was talking about. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Friend, this is a very important sign. And it's one that you really have to understand. The Bible tells us in these verses that we just covered and many others, that at some point during the tribulation period, the seven years of trouble that's coming upon the earth, the Antichrist is going to hijack, hijack the temple. He's going to set up shop in the holy temple that Jesus made reference to, the temple in Jerusalem. Only one problem. Currently, there's no temple. There's no temple that has been built in Jerusalem right now. And remember, this would be the third one. Do you remember what happened to the first one? Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
I referenced the second destruction in 70 AD by the Romans. And with all the controversy taking place in the Middle East, the Jewish people have yet to be able to rebuild the temple. And so if the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple, how many of you know there needs to be a temple? There's no temple there. So this has always been something that I have been watching very carefully. Because in my mind, no temple, no rapture of the church. No temple in Jerusalem, no second coming of Jesus. So we're kind of at a standstill. And I've been waiting, I've been watching. But some very interesting things have been happening in Israel over the past couple of weeks, days, months, years. And we need to be aware of it because that's where our focus should be with a lot of all of this that's going on. As you well know, back in 1948, in direct fulfillment of prophecy, Israel became a nation 72 years ago. Can I tell you that when that happened, it was an absolute miracle. There was no way that Israel could have ever become a nation without the favor of God. That happened in 1948. Just three years ago, in December of 2017, with great opposition and disdain from the majority of world leaders, President Trump formally recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And then in May of 2018, to coincide with Israel's 70th anniversary as a nation, the United States moved its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And then if you've been watching the news, I'm sure you have been, just about a month ago, in August of this year, a historic peace treaty was made between Israel and some of its Arab neighbors. It's called the Abraham's Accord Agreement. It was just signed a few days ago, just happened. And now for the first time in decades, instead of violence and war and senseless bloodshed in the Middle East, there just might be peace. And how many of you know that's an assignment of the church? We should be praying. David said in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It should be one of our top prayers. It's happening. And so with everything that I just described to you, for the past year now, pay attention, Jewish presence has been gathering at the Temple Mount. This has never happened before. Jewish people have been allowed to pray along the Western Wall, but they are strictly forbidden to approach the Temple Mount. And despite the adamant position of the Israeli police that the decades-old policy has not changed, still, right now, as we speak, Jewish people are gathering at the Temple Mount and they are praying boldly and unashamedly for God to move in their world. This is happening at the Temple Mount. And according to reliable sources, all of the blueprints, all of the architectural drawings, everything that needs to be in place in order to build this third temple is ready to go. And at the moment, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars are being raised in fundraising to build this temple. Do you want me to say it again? We're close. We're getting close. 
Let's look at Mark chapter 13, verses 21 through 26. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. For in those days, after the tribulation, when? After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The scripture clearly tells us that immediately following the seven years of tribulation, there is going to be a spectacular and glorious event called the second coming of Jesus. That doesn't mean the end of the world. It's the end of the age as we know it. But what follows really is a brand new day and a brand new age. And again, both the Old Testament and the New Testament support this event. In the Old Testament, you won't read the second coming of Jesus. You read the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's this second coming of Jesus. The Old Testament description or terminology of the day of the Lord and the New Testament verbiage of the second coming of Jesus is the same event. It's talked about throughout the Bible. And for the believer... Living life here on earth during the time after Jesus' second coming is going to be incredible, off the charts. I say that in a very positive way. If you ever use the phrase, living the dream, that's what that phrase had in mind. It's during that time. It's going to be a, a tremendous time for believers following the second coming of Jesus. That's why this message is so hopeful, so beneficial for us. When you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, everything about the end of days is exciting for us. Something to look forward to. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. And will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the blessing. That's the promise. Reigning with Christ for a thousand years. A millennial number of years. And so believers who have died in Christ ever since the days of Jesus. For the past 2,000 years. All believers who accept, have accepted the gospel message. And they've died in Christ. And then believers who are on the earth during the rapture of the church. And then even believers who are martyred during the tribulation time, they're all part of the first resurrection and will not be subject to what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment, which will be a time when unbelievers will have to pay the price and the reckoning for their rejection. Instead of that, for the believer, instead of the great white throne judgment, all Christ followers, according to the scripture, will participate in their own event called the judgment seat of Christ. Say that. The judgment seat of Christ. Or the bema seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says this. 
talking to believers, talking to the church at Corinth, for we must all, how many? For we must all, all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body or while alive, whether good or bad. Friends, this is something to get excited about. This is a very hopeful passage because there is great reward for all the sacrifices that we have made and for allowing the word of God to be such a part of our lives, to prevail in the decisions that we make. Now, I know how the human mind thinks. And when we read a passage like this that includes the words good and bad, typically we are drawn to the bad. And immediately in our minds we begin to fixate on everything that we have done that is wrong. And all the poor choices we've made and all the failures and the decisions that have tripped us up when it comes to serving the Lord. So in our minds, that's what we're thinking. You know, we're not going to get many rewards because we've messed up. Friends, that doesn't take place at the Bema seat. Sin and failure doesn't show up here. And I'm going to tell you why. Because as believers, our sins have been washed away. That's what we talked about. That's what we read about, or were singing about all during the worship time. Calvary covered it all. The Bible says when we confess our sins, what does God do? He forgives them. He's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How difficult is it to understand that when God forgives your sin, it's gone? Confess sin for the believer comes under the blood. That's what makes the blood of Jesus so powerful. He went to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. We celebrate that every first Sunday of the month during communion. It is a powerful work that was done for us. The holy wrath of God was leveled and poured out on Jesus. He died a horrific death. Right? Do you know why? So that wrath wouldn't have to fall on us. Any association or identification with the work of the cross and what Jesus has done allows you and I as believers to sidestep the wrath of God. Do you see that? Do you understand how important it is? Sin, failure, and all the things that we've done wrong do not show up at the Bema Seat of Christ. What happens there are rewards. Some more than others. Rewarded according to what we have done with the talents that God has given to us. That's why it's so important to walk in the grace that God provides for us. To use the gifting and the talents that he has blessed us with. This is where obedience to God's word and a desire to live a fully devoted life to him, a life of sacrifice, a life of devotion, that's where it pays huge dividends, at the Bema seat. Now, you may think that living a life for God or being fully devoted to him right now and making sacrifices, it it doesn't benefit you much. It will then. That's what the scripture says. That's the day when you will be rewarded for everything that you're doing today when you choose God. 
Now, listen to me very carefully. For those who live this life and they hear the gospel message and God is faithful to get that message to them and yet they still reject Jesus, they choose not to give their lives to him or to surrender to his lordship, they won't be standing at the Bema Seat of Christ. That's not where they're going to be. They're going to be standing at what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Talk about that in just a minute. I'm not the judge. I don't know what God is going to use, what method he's going to use to determine eternal assignments. There's only one thing I do know after reading the scripture. I don't want to stand there. I don't want to be there. I, I choose the Bema Seat. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This is in your Bible. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the Lord, and books were open. Another book was open, which is called the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person standing there at the throne, great white throne judgment, was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That last verse, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it's in your Bible, is probably the most sobering verse of Scripture you'll find anywhere. It's pretty intense. But it's consistent with the Word of God. It's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. And it's the reason why we preach the gospel message so passionately. Why each and every time we come together, we do what we can to point you to Jesus. Not to Community Christian Church. Not to an organization. Not to some kind of a group. Our goal is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We've been doing that for 28 years. And what we want you to do more than anything else is make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. That's the whole purpose in communicating the gospel to you. To allow you to open your heart to that gospel and to receive it. Now, I mentioned this last Sunday. For a little while there in June, in fact, all through the month of June, and maybe even after that, we witnessed open rebellion and lawlessness on the streets of the cities of our nation. Maybe some of you witnessed what was taking place and you were horrified in a state of shock as you watched those events unfold. But see, that's nothing compared to what is going to take place during the tribulation period. 
Let me show you the attitude and the behavior of people who are going to be on the earth during that time, during those seven years. And I warn you in advance, it's pretty graphic. Look at Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. The fourth angel, this is a time when God is pouring out his wrath. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Friend, this is a picture of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. Not on people, but on the wickedness and on the sin and on the evil. And as you well know, his redemption and his salvation is available for everyone. No exceptions. And I just believe in the faithfulness and compassion heart of God that somewhere along the line, he makes sure that everybody has their chance. God's love is for the entire world, not just a select group of people. His redemption is available for all of mankind. But even God's grace and his mercy cannot penetrate this arrogance and this pride and rebellion that we read here in Revelation chapter 16. The vicious behavior on the part of people is because they have been dramatically influenced by the spirit of Antichrist where there is no spirit-filled believer around to intercede for them or to plead with God and appeal to God for his mercy and grace. And here's another little tip that I just saw recently while preparing for this service. In the book of Revelation, chapters 1 through 3, you will read about the church over and over again. Countless times the church is mentioned in Revelations chapter 1, 2, and 3. You get to chapter 4 and all the way through 19 where the wrath of God is being poured out. No mention of the church. Wonder why. Maybe not here. Therefore, the Bible says that the only way to be saved during the seven years of tribulation is physical death. Unbelievers who become believers during the trouble, during the tribulation, they'll have to be martyred in order to be saved. Again, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Bottom line, you want your name in that book. You want to make sure that you're standing at the judgment seat of Christ and not the other judgment. And you want to make that decision and you want to choose to surrender your life to Jesus not because you're afraid of the consequences, but rather because you opened your heart to the truth that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the life. Jesus and only Jesus is the one who paid the price for your sins. He's the only one who went to the cross and died there and took a beating 
that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He paid full price for our sins. He had you in mind when he went to the cross. Jesus' love is for you, not for everyone else but you. It includes you as well. And for some of you, it's time. It's time to acknowledge the gospel message that you've been toying around with for a long time. And it's time to make your commitment and your decision to live for him. Now, a couple of months ago, Community Christian Church hosted the memorial service for Brian Grimes. Brian Grimes was a very special Community Christian Church member who lost his battle with cancer at a very young age, age of 61. A couple of weeks before Brian passed away, I found out he wasn't doing very well, so I made a visit to his house. He had been in bed for a couple of days, hadn't been eating, he was in a lot of pain. But when he found out that I was there to talk with him and to pray with him, he got dressed, he got out of bed, and we actually went for a walk in his neighborhood. And I could tell that when we went for that walk, there were some things that Brian wanted to say to me uh, because they were heavy on his heart. And so during that little walk, we had a very direct conversation about his death. Let me tell you, that's not an easy conversation to have. But he was prepared. He told me he was ready, he had made peace with his God, and he fully believed that his next place, his next destination was heaven. And during that conversation, as we talked about the life to come, I asked him, Brian, we're going to be holding a memorial service for you. What would you like me to communicate to the people that are there in attendance on that day? And without hesitation, Brian said to me, Pastor, in as loving and gentle a way, what I'm going to ask you to do is to say to my family members and my friends and the people that mean the most in the world, tell them to get off the fence. And for those of you who've been wondering why this illustration of a fence is behind me, it's for that reason. Brian says, I want you to tell my family members to get off the fence when it comes to living their lives for God. You know, being on the fence is a term that we use to describe vacillation and indecision, where we procrastinate or put off making a decision we know we should make. And we just think about it in the future. The Bible is very clear. It says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to sit out the commitment? If God is God, then choose him. Why put it off? And in the same breath, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to do it now. We're going to make that decision now. See, this was the request and the desire of a dying man. Of everything he could have said to me to communicate to the people in attendance that day, he wanted me to tell them to get off the fence. To put your trust in Jesus Christ. To allow 
that little window of grace that God opens for every single one of us, and I told you about my experience last week, to allow that little flood of God's presence to come into your heart and you hold on to the salvation of Jesus Christ. When you do that, your name is automatically transcribed in the book of life. Can I get you to just bow your heads for prayer? Some of you might be listening to me here in this place or online at home, maybe a future podcast, maybe three weeks from now. And immediately you would say, I don't know if my name's in the book. Pastor, sign me up. Put my name there. I wish I could do that. I can't. And you don't get your name in the book of life just by thinking it's a good idea. It requires a decision on your part. It requires action. And what it means for you is that you have to be willing to repent of your sins and to accept the gospel message and reach out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm just thinking, because I have it in my heart to believe this, that there are some people here that need to do that. There are some people that are watching from home, some people who are listening. This is your moment of visitation. You may not get it again. The way that the conviction power of the Holy Spirit is stirring right now, it might not happen for you again. You might harden your heart. And I know right now that God's Spirit, His presence is available for you to make this decision. And so I appeal to you as your friend, do it today. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I have to have you in my life. I want to identify with the work of the cross and sidestep the wrath that has to fall upon sin. I don't want anything to do with that. I need my soul to be saved. If that's you, while everyone just has their eyes closed, could I get you to raise your hand? Very important time. Just slip your hand up. You can put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Don't be, thank you. Don't be afraid. This is a holy moment for you. This will affect all eternity for you and probably for your family. If you're online, you can maybe click the tab there that says, I need to be saved. I need to give my life to God. I want to surrender my life to the Lord. One last time. Anyone else? Thank you. Appreciate it. I f- thank you. Father, I thank you for the moving of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're still in the business of transforming lives from darkness to light. Thank you for your gift of salvation. It's the greatest miracle that can take place in our hearts. I pray for all those, Lord, who here in this room and those who are listening to me or watching me are making commitments. Whether they raise their hand, whether they click that little tab, Lord, you know our hearts. We don't have to do something because you see on the inside. And I pray, Lord God, that we would open our hearts to you. 
Can I get everybody here to just repeat this prayer after me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son who went to the cross. He died there. Took the wrath of God upon his own shoulders so that I wouldn't have to. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. But he was raised to life again. And now seated at the right hand of the Father, I willingly choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me. I pray you would lead me. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.